saying out loud that I have this condition, I'd kind of bottled that up for years. I'd People knew that I'd been to the hospital and stuff, and but I'd never actually kind of said the words out loud. Uh, and I, rem- I remember being in there kind of talking about it, and the therapist, she asked, she can't remember if she asked me or something. And then it's when I, like, it's almost as if I couldn't get the words out. It was weird, it's as if I'd been kind of bottling it up. Mm. It takes for people to get an illness. It takes for people to get a scare or a family member to get a scare to go, right, I need to appreciate life. And, you know, we're getting into the winter months now where people start to just get sad and upset and they just go into themselves a bit more. So, you feel you get a new lease of life with this? Do you feel you wake up every day? Not every day, but do you feel you wake up and go, your time on this planet is limited? And do you ever have moments where you have to remind yourself? Aye, aye. Really? Aye, so, for that, for, I know obviously doctors are like kind of the, health and medicine that's what that's what they are but to sit there and have somebody tell me at 17 you can't do this you can't do that you will live your life like this was kind of at the time uh, okay guys welcome to episode two of the coaches podcast today i'm joined by another top table client uh not preferential treatment by the way he's just uh he's just got a great story Um what's great about chris is he reached out and said i'd love to tell my story now, I kind of already know a little bit about Chris's story, very surface level, because obviously he signed up, we had a call, um, and he gave me a bit of his background, so it was interesting to hear it. What I remember clearly was the, the employment side of it, which is two, look, pretty much two stories at play here. Um, so, mate, welcome. How are you doing? Hi, good, good, mate. Glad good, good. Nervous? Feeling uh, all right? Well... If you'd asked me five minutes ago, no, no, I a wee bit. <laughs> <laughs> so anybody watching YouTube, you'll see uh, Chris represent his brand. It's HWFG. We will ask you about that very soon, mate. But okay. today, we're not here to, talk, here to talk about the business or your programs or how much you're impacting people's lives. We're here to talk about your story, mate, which, um, like I said, I kind of knew some stuff. And then when you filled in the application to come on to this uh, podcast, you gave me more in-depth, which, mm-hmm. mate, it was really, really intriguing to read it. Um, and I'm excited to get stuck in. I think it's going to help a lot of people. I think the struggles you've faced could be powerful, mate. So if you don't mind, I'm going to open you up and get you to tell the story. Is that cool? Yeah, that's fine. Aye. Perfect, mate. So two years you've been a coach. Um, let's go back to the time where you're in Magaluf. Okay. Go for it, mate. Right, so <clears throat> when I was 17-year-old... Um, I had left school a year early. Uh, I actually joined the police cadets for a year. Uh, well, I joined the police cadets. Uh, so I was in that for a year. And then by the time all my mates had finished sixth year, we all obviously wanted to go on a big lads holiday for the first time. Um, so we decided to go to Magaluf. So about 17 or 18 of us. So away we went. Obviously your first lad holiday, you're pretty excited and most of the time pretty mad with it. Um, so that was that. Two or three days in, I kind of started to feel a little bit kind of pain in my back. Um, Try to kind of just ignore it. And that pain gradually got worse and worse until such time as I had to phone a doctor to come out to the hotel. Um, now, the doctor came out, kind of had a look at things to see how, how I was. And he said, you should go to the hospital uh, right away. So I went to the hospital in Palma, uh, taken in an ambulance. Um, Got there and they took my bloods and everything. Turned out the reason I was kind of in hospital at that time was just 
really bad dehydration. I drank for three, four days, not really drank any water, and then just ended up really badly dehydrated. Um, but at the at the same time as this was happening as well, I developed some kind of sort of infection in my foot, uh, which kind of turned into a wee blister on the bottom of my foot. Uh, I kind of pussy blister almost, so that was that in hospital. But when I was in hospital with the dehydration, they took my bloods and found out at the time that my liver and my pancreas were severely inflamed uh, and not any reason through the dehydration or anything, but they were kind of really concerned about it. So they took my, my blood markers and it turned out they were like 10 times over the average of what a normal person should be. So right away, obviously, there was case for concern. Um, so they said I had to stay in hospital when I was there. So I ended up staying in for a week longer than I was due to be in Magaluf. My mates all flew home. Um, I stayed there. And then they, they said, you can fly home just as long as when you get home, you go to the hospital at home. Uh, so I done that, flew home, went right to the Royal here, um, got taken into hospital. At the time, the also the kind of blister on my feet had started kind of coming up my legs as well. So lots of different kind of blisters, just as if it was an infection coming up on my legs. So eventually got to the hospital here, they then transferred me to the Garden Naval and put me in the infectious diseases unit, basically, because they didn't know what this was or anything. So they thought, put them in there just as a precaution. So over the, turns out over the course of the next 10 months, I was in hospital. I was out for a period of one or two months, but then kind of relapsed and went back in and stuff. And as time was going on, this kind of, these pussy blisters were kind of coming all over my body, up my back, up my neck and everything, on my scalp and everything. Just because it was that run down with whatever was going on with my liver, my kind of pancreas and whatnot. Uh, so they tested for absolutely everything. And then they kind of came to the conclusion after 10 months uh, that the what was actually wrong with my liver is a kind of rare genetic disease, which is commonly found in uh, elderly women. Uh, it's autoimmune hepatitis. So it's basically an autoimmune condition where my own immune system is trying to, t trying to attack my liver to get rid of it constantly. So my body's basically constantly trying to fight itself. Uh, so in turn, I then got put on a medication which lowers my immune system, which gives my liver a bit of a better time, but at the same time makes me more kind of susceptible to picking up like any kind of common cold, COVID, whatever, flus and stuff like that. Um, so that was when I was 17 years old, that happened. What kind of like your hepatitis of the liver is autoimmune hepatitis is it's like scarring of the or sort of inflammation of the cells in the liver and long term like long term with this it can lead to scarring in the liver and then too much scarring can then internally it lead to liver failure if it gets bad enough and then obviously kind of potentially need a liver transplant if that's the case obviously touch wood I'm I'm not there the now and hopefully I don't need to be there but this is all this is all when I'm 17 before I even turned 18 legal to drink or anything. Yep. So then over the course of the next I've got told that there and then that you should really just kinda not drink or anything, not just basically live your life as healthy and as basically as healthy as you can. Obviously 17 year old, the biggest concern you hear then is oh shit, I can't drink. Mm. Um so I was distraught and I was devastated more about the fact that I couldn't drink than the actual kind of disease itself. Um, so that was that. That kind of then led to me kind of from the age of 17, 
so at the age of 17 to about 24, 25, not drinking at all. And like everyone kind of knows themselves. That's the, that's most the main time that everyone around about that age drinks. Mm-hmm. So it was just, it was quite hard to deal with then just like having to be completely different for everyone doing what I seen as at the time, what I wanted to do. Um, so that was, that was kind of that. As you kind of got a bit older, started drinking occasionally, then got to the point I was just kind of doing it like normal until such time as got to this age, the now where it's, I'm still kind of living with obviously the kind of autoimmune condition, um, which again, it's not, it's not, it's not a curable thing. It's a case of keeping it under control with medication um, and just hoping that medication keeps control of it. If anything, it'll get worse, but you can keep it under control. You'll never ever get rid of it. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, obviously it's autoimmune. So they they think I've either had it from birth or maybe this infection that I caught in my foot was kind of prompted the reaction in my body to, to kind of bring it on and uh, stuff like that. So it turned out the kind of back to the kind of the infection kind of coming up on my skin and all that, that just in turn turned out to be a kind of bacterial infection which again, I think I must have caught from just the pool in the hotel in mm. Magaluf. Um, and that's where it's all kind of led for, yeah. to start with. So when did you take it serious? What was the moment? Because you're a 17-year-old boy. We usually don't care, do we? No. No matter what happens to us, we've got, you've got that mentality when you're 17. So when, did you, when was the moment? Is there a specific moment you're sitting there going, this is actually serious here? Yeah, like honestly, I would... I would I wouldn't say till my late twenties. Really? Uh, Aye. My main, my main kind of concern from the age of seventeen to twenty-three was the main concern. Then was the fact that I was having to live my life differently to everyone. That was my biggest worry. Then not the health condition itself, and then for maybe the age of twenty-four to twenty-nine, it was a case of, you know, I've got this anyway. I'm just going to do what I want more kind of from a selfish point of view thinking well I've, I've missed out on this for years now i want to kind of i want to be like everyone else mm. um and then once i got to the point of 29 that's kind of when it hit like wait a minute i've got a kind of serious health issue here uh, that i need i need to kind of look after myself or i mean it will be lights out before before like anyone else um yeah. so like in all honesty i would say yeah kind of later 20s right um which I know that's that's from seventeen to twenty nine. That's twelve years, but it, it did genuinely take about that long to kind of sink in when aye. I actually was. Aye, because you matured. Aye, that's the reality of it. Isn't it? So did the doctor actually say those words to you? It's, it won't be cured. Aye, aye, really, aye. So for that, for I know obviously doctors are like kind of the health and medicine. That's what that's what they are. But to sit there and have somebody tell me at seventeen you can't do this, you can't do that, you will li- live your life like this, was kind of at the time, uh, Jesus, mm. you know I mean, like, I, that that was basically what they said, this is this is this condition, this is how you're going to need to live. But at the same time, looking back now, they did also say it's like majority of people are either elderly women or if anyone else has issues with a lover, it's really alcohol related or drug related or whatever. But it just so happened to be I was a seventeen-year-old boy, and it was my immune system trying to get rid of my liver for me. Um, so it's it's obviously it's, I, even till this day, I still can I think about it every day. 
Uh, it's in the back of my head subconsciously or not like consciously. But I, it's just, it's, I think I was at the hospital earlier on today getting a checkup about it. So I'm at the hospital every three weeks to get my bloods taken because there's no symptoms or anything. Like, right. unless I knew, unless if I didn't go to the hospital and get my bloods taken, I would not know there was anything wrong with me. And that's what they said at the time when I went in to start with. They said, you're lucky that you came in because if you'd not have found out about this 10 years, you'd have been dead. Or if we had found out about it later, it might have been too late to kind of deal mm. with. So, I mean, it was a blessing in disguise that I did go into hospital severely dehydrated. Yep. But if I hadn't, then who knows what would have happened. Aye. So how did it affect... We're going to go into talk about your work in a minute, mate, because that's the part I remember when we spoke about... Um, you told me about the condition and stuff, but we were focusing more on your career and, mm -hmm. you know, why you were coming into that goody coach and stuff. What impacted the condition and knowing you've got that condition have on your work, uh, sorry, your relationships? Yeah. Did it have any? Was there any standout moments that that maybe didn't make you want to commit to a partner? Or was there anything out there? Or maybe approaching girls? Or was there anything like that that, that kind of... Well, I, I would say in, in itself, like actually kind of... I don't know. I don't know if it's kind of from from kind of this like, but when when I was kind of younger, like I said, from the age of seventeen to twenty three, twenty four, I always viewed myself as different because I had this. I couldn't go out every weekend and get steaming or whatever, uh, and I always kind of categorised myself from me to everyone else, and that kind of led like just any other things as well, kind of probably work relationships and whatever else. Um, but it was just, it actually kind of got to the point kind of later on, like I said, when I was kind of about 29, that's probably when it kind of hit home. And I, I did actually kind of go and speak to somebody about it, uh, just to say that, that I find myself, like I'm constantly differentiating myself with people. It's always me and then putting other people on a pedestal, uh, basically. And it was after kind of speaking to kind of professional a few times that I actually kind of realised that it's it's not... It's obviously different. It's something that like not many people have, but at the same time, everybody's different. It's not a case of me and everyone else, uh, and kind of that way. But yeah, it's, it has a massive. Whether I realise it as much or not, it massively impacted my life. Um, mm. Just kind of approach I take to stuff, my kind of attitude, probably has got to me got me to where I am today. Like through good experiences and bad experiences. Um, but yeah, I would say like from finding out, out about it from such a young age, it has kind of, it's led me to be where I am today, basically. Um, so yeah. Who did you speak to? Uh, a therapist. Therapist? Uh, aye. Um, because I'd always been offered on the NHS, um, how you, like when I go to my doctor's appointments, they'll always ask me how you're dealing with it. And I don't, I, I, I never speak about this that openly because although it is a kind of big factor in my life, I don't. I, I don't want to say I don't want to use it as an excuse, but I don't like thinking that it kind of holds me back for potentially achieving what I want to achieve. So I just kind of, it's part of my life. I don't speak about it to people. In a way, I kind of, like a strange way of thinking, I think nobody really cares. Nobody wants to hear about it anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone's got their own issues. Um, but yeah, it was just, it's just kind of one of those things I've kind of had to deal with. And I don't, don't speak about it that often, which is, more so recently, I've kind of, on my Instagram page, I put up a post about it kind of last week and stuff. But apart from that, I've never really went into great detail about it with many people. Um, because realistically, because I've got no symptoms, 
people just assume I like they wouldn't they wouldn't think there's anything wrong with me. Mm. Uh, and even the kind of like my old job, but that did kind of it went against me massively um, in my old old job. But um, yeah, it's once I kind of spoke to the kind of therapist a few times, I did kind of start realizing that I can deal with it a bit better. I, I might have to well, obviously I have to learn to live with it, but. I can have a better kind of mental attitude towards it as well. Um, mm. But yeah, it just took all that time to kind of settle into it, basically. We got a really good share from our last guest who also went to therapy. Um, she shared kind of really big breakthrough, a big breakthrough moment, and she advised heavily to us people to get therapy at some point in their life. What was, could you just tell us a really challenging moment at therapy which then led to a breakthrough? Um, well, I can actually, yeah, I can. Uh, one of the times I was speaking to the the woman that was the kind of therapist, she was asking me questions, and I think I think just to kind of like coming out and saying that that I, I ha like saying it out loud that I have this condition, I'd kind of bottled that up for years. I'd people knew that I'd been to the hospital and stuff, and but I'd never actually kind of said the words out loud, uh, and. I, rem I remember being in there kind of talking about it and the the therapist she asked she can't remember she asked me or something and then it's when i like it's almost as if i couldn't get the words out it was weird it's as if i'd been kind of bottling it up mm. uh, and then uh, I, I ended up getting like i got it out i was like i've got autoimmune kind of hepatitis uh, of my liver and then i just kind of burst into tears really i mean i'd i'm an emotional person mm. I, like outside i i don't like I don't kind of show them that emotional, uh, but oh, I don't think I do anyway, but I'm, I'm quite an emotional person. And when I just said that to the therapist, I, for some reason it was as if I burst into kind of tears, but it was almost kind of like relief that I'd kind of got it out, out in words. Uh, and then I think even since that, kind of letting that out, I've kind of learned to accept that a wee bit more as well, which is, is strange. It was honestly, once I said it, it was like kind of weight off my shoulders, like actually weight, like a weight kind of just lifted. Yeah, because um, I've just been kind of bottling it up for years. Mm. I I think that's obviously been the power of owning it, mate. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where, from an outsider looking in, you you get people who have conditions, skin conditions, um, they're not abled in some way, and I guess they live with it just as much as you. But there's a physical version of that where you can see it. Maybe you can see someone deteriorate, or maybe you can see someone with a skin condition or with something like that. Whereas yours is silent, mm -hmm. it's a silent right. one, um, which I guess can make you go about your everyday life like a typical guy who pushes his feelings down and Aye. puts the genie in the Aye. bottle, and then no one's noticing, so you're kind of just like, ah, you know what? Aye. So I, it's, it's interesting to hear that, mate, because I think that's probably what's been happening, and then the therapist has just let it out mm -hmm. uh, for you. I mean, for want of a better expression, but like to own it, yeah, to own that you've got it, Aye. and that's it. So that's really interesting to hear, mate. Would you recommend therapy? Yeah, definitely. Like it, it, it was actually when I, I kind of sourced a therapist, on, like because because I'd said like before, the NHS has offered me a therapist for years, and I've always knocked it back, thinking I don't need a therapist. I can deal with this myself. And it got to the point I was just I, I felt really kind of rubbish about it. So I sourced a therapist myself. I didn't tell anyone I was going. I went. I spoke to her, I think I must have went four or five times, I spoke to her, after it, it was a case of, she said, look, you don't need to come back, but if you want to come back, you know where I am, if you need to, so, it, I mean, it's the door's always open for me to go back if I feel like I need it, but 
until I came out of the therapy. Even even for like maybe kind of a month, no, maybe about six months to a year after, I still hadn't told anyone I'd been. But then I thought, well, why am I hiding this? Because it's massively, it's massively helped me. So I then kind of just dropping into conversations here and there, not exactly making a big announcement because it's not a big, it's not a big thing or anything. But it's just kind of telling people. Oh, by the way, I've I've spoke to a therapist before, and yeah, I would highly recommend it if you feel if you feel you're at the point to speak to somebody because sometimes I find if you have if you've got stuff kind of bottled up and it's all right saying oh it's, you should talk to people more but sometimes you find if you're talking to people you don't want to talk to family because they've got their opinion to give you back or you don't want to talk to a friend because they've got their opinion to give mm -hmm. you back you want somebody to talk to that you can just talk to and they don't say anything back you just want to get it off your chest yeah, you want to, impartial on the agenda I, I, you want somebody to listen you don't want because you don't want anyone giving their opinion back you don't you just need to get it off your chest and then you'll once you speak about it and get it out there you'll you'll come to your own conclusion um so yeah i would i would highly recommend it for people that feel they're ready to go at that point and um, but i know it can be difficult especially in kind of glasgow in the west of scotland like glasgow can be a very judgmental place uh if you're not seen to be kind of typical stereo stereotype typical kind of person then you're automatically seen as weird mm -hmm. uh, i mean I'll say for myself when I was younger, I would think anyone that done anything different, I'd be like they're a weirdo, Aye. like like just a normal kind of yeah. guy thing in the west of Scotland. But it's no, honestly, if you if you feel you're at the stage ready to do it, you don't even need to tell people you're doing it. Like I didn't, but it was only after I realised how good it was. I thought, well, I'm going to tell people about it. So yeah, mm. if if you are kind of thinking about it, do it. Mm. Love that, mate. So before we're going to talk about the work side of it and it might actually coincide with this because it might be during your work what was your darkest moment with this that with this sort of like condition so i wouldn't i wouldn't say there's a set kind of darkest moment with it i would say it's kind of it's impacted if you it's obviously it's kind of impacted my life from where i've been at but it was when it got to the point in my previous job as an engineer it was starting to affect how I was kind of progressing or not progressing uh, within within the company, um, and it was so I I used to work shifts and eventually the night shift was just killing me, and the doctor actually asked if I wrote a note to your work, would you be able to get like exempt for night shift? So at the time I was like, well I'm all for trying it, uh, so that was fine. Wrote a letter to the work, they allowed me to go from not doing night shift to just doing day shift and back shift um which was fine they allowed me to do it but then that in turn then had a kind of knock-on effect on I, I feel personally anyway it had a knock-on effect in my potential to kind of progress within the job uh, to kind of other roles within the company because like i said before there's not any symptoms i look normal i look perfectly healthy i've mm. played football went to the gym if you kind of spoke to me and i didn't mention it you think I'm probably one of the healthier people out there. Uh, so in turn, people's perception of me in the work was, he doesn't want to do the night shift, he's quite a lazy, lazy person. Mm -hmm. uh, so whenever I kind of went for other jobs, towards the end anyway, the last kind of two or three years, I was like, right, I need to get off the current job I'm on and get into a kind of maybe an office job or another kind of role. And over the period of three years, no, sorry, maybe two, two and a half years. I went for 15 jobs and I got a knockback for them all. And I mean, some of them, 
fair enough. Maybe most of them I might have not been suitable for, but I know for a fact there wasn't 15 jobs that I wasn't suitable for. Uh, and then I kind of went to kind of speak to a manager kind of off the record saying, look, what am I doing wrong here? Why why am I not getting a sniff at any of these jobs? And he, he genuinely turned around at me and said, would you not be able to try and go back on the night shift? He went off the record. That's not really helping your chances. Not pre- that's not really helping your chances of progressing. I said to him, well, how? It's, it's not as if I'm voluntarily not doing the night shift. It's like for health reasons. He went, I know that, but it could just be seen as you may be a wee bit lazy and stuff. I went, well, I'm not I'm not prepared to kind of jeopardise my health for the sake of a job. And that's at that point, I was like, the only way out of here is to leave and kind of get on with my life elsewhere. Um, Tell me, mate, about the golden handcuffs because I love that. Um, Explain, just for, for people who don't know, Chris, obviously, just like other guests, filling an application, it's not so much an application, it's just, what's the story like? So we can get a, a big big picture and then zoom in on these podcasts to, to tell Chris's story. And he mentioned golden handcuffs because he's, he was referring to a job that he didn't like, felt trapped, but obviously making good money. So, mate, tell us about that and tie that in with the discrimination. I know, I know you mentioned a lot there about discrimination, mm-hmm. but tie in, because when you came to me, it was a bit about like, I really want to change careers. I need to. Mm-hmm. I'm not fulfilled anymore, but I'm making good money. Aye. And and I know a lot of people listening to this and watching, mate, are in that same scenario. Mm-hmm. I get them on a call. They want to be a coach or a personal trainer. They want to commit, but they're scared. Mm-hmm. So talk me through that, mate. So you mentioned at the start, we've probably got kind of two stories. This is maybe more the second story, the start of it anyway. Yes. Uh, so in my, in my kind of previous job, obviously, kind of spoke about kind of how my health and my and my eyes held me back massively um but it got to the point where it was kind of like the job itself was kind of golden handcuffs i hated the job i hated every single day i ended up with putting a pretty bad like very bad anxiety that i had to eventually go to the doctor and see about i got anxiety anxiety every night about going in the next day so i would go in every day on about two hours sleep no having slept just feeling so run down and I hated it, but I was getting ridiculous money for the job I was. Outside of work, I had the perfect life. Uh, anyone in their 20s, I was going on four or five holidays four or five holidays a year. One year I was going to Vegas, Thailand, Tomorrowland, Ibiza and Greenfields all in the one summer. Like that's, that's a dream for any kind of boy in Glasgow around 20 years old or a lot of people anyway. So outside of work, my life was cushy, but... You spend majority of your life in your work. Mm. Um and then once it kind of got to the point that the money, the money just didn't cut it and for the way I was feeling, the money just didn't cut it anymore. That's when I kind of decided to that I need to do something about this, I need to change career and whatnot. But yeah, but it's I was in there for 12 years. So it just shows you how long it had been affecting me for and how long it actually took me to kind of grow the balls to think, mm. no, that I can't do this anymore. I actually took to the point where I was at breaking point to think this isn't worth the money. This is not worth the money at all. Within that kind of job, you were kind of led to believe that if you leave this, you'll not get any money like this elsewhere. Hmm. Um, and obviously, you're in, aye, you believe it because you're in the four walls for 12 years. So you become kind of institutionalized almost. Um, but yeah, I would say kind of anyone that is kind of in a position they hate their job and they want to do something else do it because like i mean i i kind of talk about it sometimes on my instagram i think i kind of spoke about it the day like 
you're only going to you're only going to be here for a set period of time. Uh, and I think I'm a lot more comfortable. Again, I don't like it. A lot of people are kind of uncomfortable talking about dying. You know what I mean? But I'm I'm like a lot more comfortable about it because I'm in and out of the hospital at the time. The hospitals where people go when they're unwell, they go to die. Blah blah blah. So I'm in and out there. I know everyone knows we're all going to die sometimes. So I, like, if you're unhappy right now, do your best to get happy because again, you don't know the time frame you're here for. So just do your best to get in a position where you're relatively happy. If you're miserable. You can't let it go on because not, if you keep things the same, nothing's going to change. If you don't, if you're miserable and expecting something magical to happen, if you're not trying to change, nothing's going to change. You're just going to get more miserable. And um, so I would say definitely, if people are kind of in that position, then do something about it. Yeah, no, I mean I love that because perspective's a funny thing, Chris. Like, I remember complaining when I was in Pure Gym that I was doing too many hours. And I cut my hours down, got some online clients, and I was like, I can board now. I want my own gym. I got my own gym. Ah, brilliant. My name's up in the lights. Amazing. And I was like, it's winter. It's cold mm. in this gym. Do you want to be in a <laughs> I can build online. Why am I? Why am I on the premises? Me and Cheryl moved online. Started up baby coach. Amazing. The other day, me and Cheryl sitting there going, we're always in this house sitting in there with multiple businesses in a house that we've got, we bought, mm. and yet we're bored. And yet we're like, what else? And it's, sometimes you need a shake. Now, why I'm talking about this with you, mate, is it takes for people to get an illness. It takes for people to get a scare mm. or a family member to get a scare to go, right, I need to appreciate life. And, you know, we're getting into the winter months now where people start to just get sad and upset and they just go into themselves a bit more. So do you feel you get a new lease of life with this do you feel you wake up every day not every day but do you feel you wake up and go your time's on this planet is limited and do you ever have moments where you have to remind yourself aye i need to remind myself a lot um i, I mean I, I, a lot of stuff i say i need to find i need to say it again and again but i do need to remind myself all the time but like can i i've just got a different approach to kind of life now like when i again going back to when i was in my old job like i said i hated it I felt trapped because I didn't think I would get that money elsewhere. I'd kind of grown accustomed to living on that wage. I thought if I leave here, I'm not going to be able to live the life I have outside. Um, but it just it just got kind of so bad that I kind of had to had to eventually leave. But now my kind of approach to now that I'm out and I probably had a bit more time to think about everything, my approach to kind of life's changed massively. Um, you do, I do kind of, a lot of my decisions are kind of based on, well, I'm not going to be here forever, so mm. don't, I try not to play it as safe as I used to. I'm not saying that I'm not, I'm complete opposite now because I'm not, but I'm a lot better at just thinking, you know what, I want to do this, so I'm going to do this, rather than kind of thinking, oh, I'm just kind of sit here. I know, I know what I've got, I'm comfortable. I'd rather be kind of uncomfortable than now doing something that I know that's going to get me to a better place than yep. being comfortable in a miserable place. Yeah, mate, because you have had the double whammy. You've had the health scare and the job of, that you hate. Yeah. Now I've I've been there with the with the job I hate, and I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of a lot of fitness coaches are usually good in that path. They go down a career they hate, they feel they have to do whether it's a four year uni degree, and you know they get pressure for their parents to go and get that job from the degree, and then they go and make more money as an online coach, and then. Um, they remember how how much they hated uni, mm -hmm. or how much they hated a previous job. Um, 
So you get a lot of that, but you've had the double whammy with the with the health scare as well. It's just do you think that's made you a better coach? Having that outlook on life, but also the perspective of reality in terms of because people worry about daft stuff, mate, mm -hmm. every single day. We yeah. worry about stuff that does not matter mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things. Um so do you think it's made you a better listener, better at communicating and a better a better coach with your clients? A hundred percent. Um like I definitely like just I think it's like I said earlier, this for starting when I was seventeen, going through kind of the illness and stuff, it's got me to where I am today. Um it's a lot of stuff that it's I it's it's got me where I am today. It's like a lot of kind of stuff that I have kind of went through in the past has made me more kind of what's the word? Um like I said, more kind of aware of the fact that your time is limited here. Like if you're if you're not feeling good, don't let it go on for so long. Uh, but I th I do like to I do like to kind of think I'm quite good at kind of talking to people. I'm I'm good at kind of listening to people and just kind of empathising with them and stuff. But I think I take because of my kind of own experiences, I take a kind of massive kind of what the word is. I'm I'm very into I, I want people to realise how important their health is, basically. Mm. So I want to kind of... Emphasise it. I emphasise how important your health is and kind of get across the fact so that people actually kind of realise that. Because I know I know if you're perfectly healthy, you don't really think about, oh, what about if I was unhealthy? But when you are kind of unwell, the first thing you think is, oh, I wish I wasn't unwell. Do you know what I mean? Like you only realise how kind of important your health is when you are unwell. Yeah. And I wish people kind of realised that even when they are healthy, their health is the most important thing. Because for a lot of people, they only think, oh, I better start taking my vitamins and stuff when they're unwell. Yep. Whereas if you've done it all the time, you're going to get unwell as much. I'm not, I'm not saying that kind of all illnesses are like that, but your kind of typical kind of colds and kind of everything else, flus and all that, not COVID obviously, but your kind of normal flu and stuff like that. You don't, if you were kind of on top of your health a lot sooner, then you wouldn't have to kind of deal with it. You wouldn't need as much. Prevention is better than cure, mate. Yeah. That's exactly it. And I guess that leads us into the business as well, mate, with, with helping people. Before I talk about what you offer with your clients, because of the experience in therapy and, and in and out of hospital and life, well, like, was there ever a moment in the industry, you know, we talk about being in Glasgow, the west of Scotland, the west of Scotland and stuff, it's, it's very, very ego-driven, very bravado and all the rest of it. When you come into the coaching game, I, I certainly speak for myself here, and I think it's a lot of male coaches that I've spoke to. You kind of come in, and there's a bit of dick measuring going on. It's usually muscles related. It's usually stuff like that. So when you come in and went, right, okay, this is what the industry's like from a male perspective. I've got this immune condition. Was there a moment where you sized that up? And sized up like, well, okay, where they are, what route should I go down here then? Mm -hmm. Because I, I know from my point of view, I almost felt I had to join them. Mm -hmm. I had to go and get strong. I had to go and... Yeah. But with yourself, it's like you knew, one, you were more mature because mm -hmm. you came off the yep. back of a long, Aye. like serious job. Aye. So you probably sized it up better. Aye. But is there a moment you've, you've looked at your place in the industry and go, where do I fit here? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like, yeah, completely. I can, I can relate back to even the kind of point I made earlier. When I was younger, it was always a case of me and everyone else. Mm. And I felt I did. I remember I felt like that when I first came into the industry. It was me 
somebody's just stopped engineering and then everyone else who's all pts yep. they're all in great shape whereas me i'm just i'm just I'm retired engineer basically Aye. uh so for long enough i uh i did kind of have that kind of separation between everyone I, I, my my kind of background in kind of the gym fitness and whatever else is i played football for years i've always been very kind of getting fitter rather than kind of like so thinking oh you need to be the biggest and the most biggest chest, biggest arms I, and all I've, ne- I've never been i've never been my like obviously kind of still lift weights and stuff but my main objective training wise has always been to get fitter so right away you come into a gym majority of people are just kind of ego driven mm. ego driven with the size of their muscles and stuff so right away again that was another kind of divide that i put up in myself uh and then it just over the kind of course of being in it kind of gradually kind of found my feet realized kind of what i'm what realized kind of that everybody is actually different within the fitness industry you can put a kind of label on what you think people do but everyone does a kind of different way on things themselves and then you realize no i do i do belong here uh, yeah. i do I, i'm kind of worthy of my place here um kind of and then just get over time i've kind of found my feet a wee bit more yep yeah i had to ask you that because i knew the i knew the answer of the type of answer you'd give there's just so many people two points to this like they they come into the industry and, and you the gym your environment plays a lot of big part in it mm. because you go in and that's what you think the industry is Aye. you think it's the gym you're in Aye. okay this must represent the whole industry Aye. and you're kind of like right okay what have we got here so when i, when I went to pure gym it was like the 18 guys Aye. all big a couple of females very getting very male driven but right how do I get as big as that guy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's the busiest. How do, I, do you know what I mean? And, and you go down that path. And like you said, with labels there, I mean, so many people think the fitness industry is, oh, see the fitness industry these days. Aye. Like you follow 400 people, mate. You don't know what the fitness industry Aye. is. How can you have get somebody like the body coach? And then you have James Smith on the other mm-hmm. end. And then you have people who are making multi-million pounds. You don't even know. Aye. The fitness industry is massive. So I think that's important for people to zoom away in and go, What's your industry? Mm-hmm. Aye. And you can pick it. Yeah. Like you can go down the health and well-being route. Uh-huh. Or you can go down the bodybuilding route. Aye. Or you can go down Metcon. Any route you want. And I think sometimes you just think, is this it? Because I remember getting making my first plans for clients. I, I hired a bodybuilding coach as a mate. It was great to learn. I got in the best shape of my life. Then I just gave my clients what he gave me. And then that path started. And mm. I was like, whoa. Then you hear something. Okay, you change your environment, open your open the doors to more people's opinions, and you go, oh no, there's other ways to do it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to eat chicken and rice. <laughs> then it opens up this world. So I think that's worth mentioning, mate, because I know there'll be coaches watching this who are, I'm not really sure where I fit in. Like you don't need to fit in. You just make as long as you be yourself mm-hmm. and just make that path. It will come. Um, that brings on to the next point, mate, about environment. So the condition um, coming into the game a bit more mature bit more mature than some coaches do right now how's your environment how how important is your environment for reminding you that you know without sounding morbid time on this planet's limited um because as much as you've spoke really well about everything you've done mate you're still going to have bad days mm-hmm. so what what sort of what sort of stuff do you do for in your environment mate like who have you got around about you that helps uh well Obviously, it's kind of helped since joining the kind of upgrade the coach for the start. So there's obviously kind of all the different coaches in there. So that's a massive kind of help right away. Um, and then obviously, kind of Robin, kind of a girlfriend. She's in the same industry as well. So she's quite a hard worker. So always kind of 
which has made that a wee bit Standard. extra. Mm. Uh, I mean, this is going to work half as hard as her, but it pushes me that wee bit. Mm. Uh, and then just the kind of gyms I work in as well, it's like there's good coaches, other coaches in it as well, and kind of seeing like the kind of pr progress that they make, it kind of drives you on uh, to kind of be better within yourself and think, right, I want to get to, I want to get to that level, uh, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the environment's massive. Like, uh, again, kind of relating back to in the past, early 20s, my environment was a typical kind of going out at the weekend, but to separate myself from everyone because I couldn't do everything everyone else wanted to do. My environment in my later 20s was obviously, and I hated my job Monday to Friday. My weekend was my escape, so it was going out, getting full of the madness with all my, mate, all my mates at that time. Uh, that was my kind of environment there, so that I just kind of done what they all done, and that was my happiest time was the weekends there. I was kind of loved for the weekends in that time. So that was that environment. Then again, kind of changing just to kind of end the coaching. And I've kind of, I think I've kind of found, I found kind of what I want to do in life and where I want to go. And I'm surrounded by kind of people that are all kind of, obviously, like I said, the fitness different, fitness industry is all different, but it's all hardworking people. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of people outside the fitness industry think, you're just PTing for an hour. You're not. You're, that's that's like the tip of the iceberg. Um, right. It's all very very hard working, driven people. The one the ones that obviously kind of last in it and stuff. It's all very hard working, driven people. And I think, to be honest, it's probably out from the outside looking in. All the work that all the fitness industry puts in, it's so underrated uh, by everyone else. Like I said, they think it's just much as a PT session. It's a lot more than that yeah. as well. So. Yeah, kind of, I think the environment you find yourself in is kind of the environment that's going to kind of dictate the outcome that you kind of roughly have um, as well. So if you can find a good environment to be in, then stay in it. Yeah. Stay in it as long as you can. Aye. No, I totally agree, mate. Um, was there ever a time you mentioned there about kind of around about mid-20s when it's with guys and all the rest of it? Did you ever, I think it may have been too, just a bit too further on, but did you ever get slagged for the conditioning? <laughs> nah, not as, no, I didn't not get slagged, but I didn't talk about it. I, right. I was never kind of open about it. Like my, my close mates knew that there was something wrong with me, like knew that I kind of had lover issues. Uh, but I, again, I've probably, I've, even to this day, I've probably never sat down and spoke to them in detail about what it actually is mm. wrong with me. They just know that I've been in and out of hospital and that. So I never ever got slagged. And they kind of, when I didn't drink, like obviously people know that I had a kind of liver condition, not everyone, but you know what it's like if you go out sober sometimes, you've got people That's in your I mean. ear going, why you, no, you? why you no drinking? Yeah. Why you no drinking? Just have a drink. Just have one. No, I'm no drinking. Just have one. No, I'm no drinking. Just have one. I'm no drinking. So it was kind of a case of that. That was the more, not necessarily slag, slagging, but getting that all the time, all the time. And then that's probably in turn, what drove not i mean it's my choice but as i kind of got later older in my 20s thought you know what fuck it i'm just going to, i'm just going to get mad with it. i'm going to get on it with everyone and then at the time again hating the job getting on it at the weekend it was just kind of it was a recipe for disaster that's the it was time, just a downward the time spiral. for you went to aye. aye 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 definitely that's what i mean mate it's like i i remember times where you'd say you were only going out and you were got the cold shoulder for about two weeks aye, because of it you never mind um actually being there but no drinking aye that's the and especially in glasgow mate that's the one of the worst things you can do with people is just 
is it's the peer pressure uh-huh. which oh, end up leading to you to date along with the hating of the job and right. all the rest of it. Um, so I guess it wasn't slagging, it was mere just no understanding. But again, that's probably another thing that guys do is we push it down so we don't get people to know about it. Mm-hmm. So Aye. they don't get slagged Aye. or we don't get difference of opinions. Because funny thing is, you never even told the end of it. You already created the divide between people. Mm-hmm. You already had you and them and yet need to know. No, I know. So I know. you're punishing yourself despite the fact there was nothing even realistic. Yeah. Which is probably why the Pedipists wanted to bring it to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, no, mate, cool. So I want to end, mate, just on a kind of roundup of your thoughts today, mate. Like you've came from 17 to now. Um I'll speak to you about his business, obviously, but a wee bit of a closing sort of statement for people might not relate to the, the condition side of it, but they'll certainly relate to coming into the industry quite later than, than normal. Some of the people are qualifying at 20-year-old now, mate. Um, and even a well-paid job, usually it's corporate and stuff, and, and um, people I speak to. What would you say to these people that are Chris at 25, and the golden handcuffs. Mm. What would you say to them? So, I would say kind of, I mean, I could go off on a tangent here and speak for another hour or something, but I would say kind of people, especially these days, I would say people people are a lot more aware of their emotions these days, right? It's kind of, social media has kind of led to a lot more people kind of feeling up and down about themselves. And But I would say kind of people that are, kind of of that age that if they want to be happy in life do something that they think is going to make them happy you're not going to be happy all the time people need to realize that happiness is just an emotion so you're not going to feel constantly happy you need to kind of learn that you're going to be up and down and that's life but it's a case of kind of managing that riding that and finding what in life makes you happy most of the time and in the case of being miserable all the time and start just realizing that we are kind of here for a limited time and the healthier you are the better that quality time the the more the better the quality of that time is going to be if you're kind of healthier so prioritize your health that's because if you don't have your health you don't have anything if you're unwell you can't do anything else you can't work you can't work you can't play you can't do anything so think about the importance of that find something in life that makes you happy and just work hard to get it love that mate Really good. Really solid. Okay, guys, hope you enjoyed that. Chris, mate, it's been a pleasure. You yeah. enjoyed that? Aye, thanks for having me on. No, oh, you're welcome, my man. You're welcome. Okay, guys, I'd love at this point, I always wait to the end, even though you might not even be listening to this point, but I'd love if you could share it and uh, reach out to Chris um, if the story touched home because, you know, he doesn't have to share that story. And I'm really, really grateful. You heard there that half his best mates don't even know the story. So really, really grateful for that story, mate, um, because... We've got shared values here, which is having an impact on people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully it's had an impact on yours. So if it has, please reach out to Chris, give him a follow and um, pass this podcast on, share it, uh, tag us in it so that we can reach more people. That's all we do. We sit here on a Friday afternoon for free uh, to give you value. So we would love a wee bit of something back. Amazing. Okay, guys, speak soon. <laughs>